Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we're back in the Star Wars galaxy. And of course, we're back with Josh. Josh, welcome back to Mouse Madness. Hey, what's up, guys? Nice to be back. Uh, looking forward to seeing who comes out on top here. Before we go any further, let's do some Disney news. Now, obviously, everyone is in quarantine right now, so there's not a whole lot going on. The parks are closed, unfortunately. But really interesting strategy by Disney, releasing Frozen 2 to Disney Plus early, also releasing onward digitally early and it's coming to disney plus like very soon it's obviously extremely different from the way that they've done things in the past this might be a one-time thing this might be a new thing kyle how do you feel about this strategy yeah it's i think it's great because it kind of humanizes the company a little bit even though they're just giving it to existing users which means that they've already got our money for Disney Plus. So this is different than like movie ticket sales. This is them trying to do good for the world the only way that they can, which is releasing content. I think it also could be a good strategy to get people to subscribe if they see this. So Frozen 2 comes out early and people are stuck in their homes and they need to entertain their kids like why don't instead of renting from Fandango for 20 bucks or whatever Fandango would be renting for, let's just throw down the 12 bucks a month for Disney plus watch frozen two, and then also have access to their entire catalog. So it's, I think it's really a a win-win for Disney. They look good in the public eye. They also are making a, a strategic move and, and hopefully bringing in more users for, for the company. I'm going to be really, really, really interested to see what they do with Mulan, though, because Mulan's on the slate to get released in May, I believe. Um, And if this thing just keep if this virus just keeps us in our homes and non-essential businesses closed, then they're not going to have movie theaters to release this movie to. So do they pocket it and do they hold on to the movie until everything's back and then they re-release as maybe a, trying to compete with the summer blockbuster um, time frame? Or do they just w- say, let's throw it on Disney Plus and allow the public to see it and just chalk this one up as a revenue loss? Like It's going to be so interesting to see how they handle that. How do you see this happening in the future? Do you think this is a new thing? For Disney, or do you think it's something they could do? How do you feel about seeing new Disney movies in your own home for the first time? As a consumer, I love it because it's so it's just easy to access. I don't see Disney incorporating this model moving forward once everything's back to normal because they rely so heavily on movie ticket sales and movie sales. I mean, they acquired so many of these movie studios to continue to put out and bring in 
revenue from these movies, whether it's Marvel, it's Star Wars, it's Pixar. Like, they they know their bread and butter has always been movies, and I don't think that they're going to shift. I think what they will do with Disney+, Plus, and I might have brought this up when we first talked about the launch of the service in general, is if a movie is in development, isn't going the way that they want it to, but they've already spent the money on it, instead of releasing the theaters, they'll just put it on Disney+. Plus. And I think that's what happened with Lady and the Tramp. I think that they were like, ah, <laughs> this this dog CGI isn't great, and I think we're it's not going to work out in movies, and I don't think people are going to want to see it. So let's throw it on Disney Plus and test that market. And like that, I think that's perfect. Like you already have the streaming service, go ahead and just incite people to want to purchase the service by releasing content that's full length Disney movies that you couldn't see in theater. So I think that model is great, but I don't see them releasing the next phase of Marvel movies straight to Disney+. Plus. One thing that I think streaming services like Netflix have going for it is its easy accessibility and the way that it can drive a conversation. When we record this episode in March of 2020, everyone's talking about Tiger King. I thought Tiger King was good. I didn't think it was incredible, but everyone's talking about it. Bird Box another example of a movie that everyone started talking about all at once. Bird Box came out around the holidays when everyone was at home. Tiger King came out when everyone's quarantined at home. So these are things that people kind of just stumbled upon, right? There was no trailers or huge marketing promos for Bird Box or Tiger King. It's just something people found and people started talking about it. And the more people talked about it, the more people wanted to watch it. So I think that that is a really effective strategy because it doesn't seem like Netflix put a whole lot into these properties, but they're getting a whole lot out of them. Or are they? You mentioned how these Disney movies might drive people to sign up for Disney Plus that maybe didn't have it before. Pretty much everyone has Netflix. And that's a problem with the Netflix model. And it's a reason why they constantly have to put new stuff out there The shelf life for Netflix original series, not that long. Stranger Things is going into season four. I do not see it going any further than season four because it's not getting new subscribers to the platform. So once everyone has Disney Plus, what is there to do, right? I also think you have to look at a company like Netflix and Disney in a different lens because they're completely different companies. I think of a company like Lululemon who does not do Black Friday sales simply because they like to keep the attitude that their products are top of the line. They're like luxury brand products and they're not going to cheapen those products by offering them at discount rates. Disney has a very similar relationship with their movies. These are anticipated movies that come out. There aren't a whole lot of them so that you know each one is going to be really high quality. And when you just dump them on streaming with no fanfare whatsoever, it cheapens them a little bit, right? And so you see these movies like Bird Box, everyone talks about them, and then guess what? No one talks about them again, forever. They just fall into obscurity. Disney is still married to the classic model where you put a lot into marketing. Frozen 2 had toys and books and all of this stuff And it can be very exhausting to see it all. And I think about Star Wars Episode One, where 
it seemed like every single fast food restaurant yeah. had a Star Wars Episode One Happy Meal yep. toy. They were on Pepsi cans, Star Wars everywhere. By the time I got to the theater, I already knew the entire movie. <laughs> like I knew all the characters. I knew exactly what was going to happen. But for some reason, that made me love it even more because I had already invested so much into it. I had a deep connection with this movie, a relationship that I had worked on over a long period of time. It's the same with like Frozen 2, where it was one that I had been thinking about since they released it for so long. I was so hyped on this movie that it made me feel invested in it. So yes, I agree with you that I love the convenience. I love being able to pause a movie Right? and just like go to the bathroom or like make a comment to another person that's in the room or turn on subtitles. My recent movie theater going experiences have not been great, <laughs> but for Disney, I think I'm willing to do it just to, you know, feel like I have an exclusive look at these high quality products that they're putting out. Hopefully they are high quality. How do you see TV working? Do you like the way that they're handling shows like Mandalorian, like High School Musical, the musical, the series, where they're doing one episode weekly and kind of making it like a premiere type thing? Yeah, I I don't mind that. I've, I haven't quite... I think where I benefit is that I didn't grow up in the era of like streaming at your fingertips. That's something that developed as I was growing up. So waiting a week for a show was the norm and then netflix showed up with a streaming service and they essentially coined binge watching right so it's i don't mind it i almost prefer it because it's one of those like man i'm so glad that there's another episode next week like it and it allows me to kind of like sit on it talk to you about it talk to others about it before like just hopping in and binging the one like i I will binge watch everything. Binge watch Tiger King. I will binge watch anything that will allow me to. But I always feel like in the middle of this binge watch, I have tuned out. While when the episodes are released weekly, I'm invested for that 45 minutes. And that's where I draw the most enjoyment out of it. So that's why I liked Mandalorian and High School Musical, the musical, the series better than my experience with Tiger King. I thought Tiger King was a, a crazy story and documentary, but I could not tell you specifically what happened in any specific episode because I watched it all at once and it was just too much, right? So like, I enjoy it. I hope that they stick to that model on Disney Plus where some of these series that they hold in these higher regards are released every week or so. Um, and I, yeah, so I like that. What about you? 100% agree. Think of a TV show like The Office where I watched it as it was debuting week after week, year after year. Seeing myself grow with all of the characters and being able to watch them on reruns. And obviously this was before streaming at your fingertips really existed. Like you said, it makes you really invested in it and you can talk with your friends about it. And it just makes you more familiar. I watched Entourage on HBO in like a couple of weeks, the whole thing. And here I am like three years later, I don't remember anything from that show just because it was the way I treated it. I was super into it when I was watching it. I loved it, but I just, I don't know. I didn't really retain a whole lot. So yeah, I do like the weekly 
episode thing. I'm not a huge binger myself. I hope Disney keeps releasing movies into theaters. I agree with what you said, though. Maybe some of the lesser projects they could throw on Disney Plus as exclusives because I think that would definitely help new subscribers and it would keep me from unsubscribing once I've already like watched all of Disney+. Plus. Let's talk a little spoonful of sugar. Chris, what are you drinking over there? Well, I have a great combination today. Kyle, you recently got a spoonful of sugar mug from Shop Disney, and I was too late. And by the time I got to Shop Disney, they didn't have any more spoonful of sugar mugs. But I found this incredible incredible Mary Poppins mug (laughs) that is like a mug that she would drink out of where it's got like the little like peacock handle on it. It's like very ornate. It has the little umbrellas on it. It's pretty legit. It's got four little feet. I would highly recommend it. Very high quality build. And on top of that, yesterday was supposed to be opening day. So I'm back with a little pinstripe Pilsner. There you go. And I'm going to pour it into my new Mary Poppins mug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. Kyle, what have you got over there? Well, I broke out the Smuggler's Cove uh, Tiki Drink book, and I came up with the Center of the Galaxy drink. Uh, this called for half an ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of Demerara sugar- syrup, half an ounce of honey syrup, half an ounce of raspberry liqueur, and then two ounces of blended aged rum. You put that in a shaker, you add a little pinch of ground cinnamon, you put it into your spoonful of sugar mug, and you've got yourself a center of the galaxy tiki drink. Josh, what's your spoonful of sugar this week? Wow, that's a, that's a lot, Kyle, what you just put me through. That was a lot. <laughs> um, uh, can I comment on Mary Poppins for a second first? Please. Go ahead. Um, did anyone else feel something awake inside them when they were a little kid and they watched Julie Andrews as Mary Poppins because that's that's kind of a thing for me I there was an awakening in the force um when I I saw her I wanted her to be my babysitter for sure um still you know but anyway uh I'm by the way I'm uh I'm drinking strawberry flavored bubbly because again I'm a 41 year old man so drinking in the middle of the day doesn't sit well with me uh (laughs) So sorry about that, guys. My my spoonful of sugar is not very sugary. Um, in fact, it's just water that barely tastes like something else. Well, we accept all forms of spoonful of sugar here on the Mouse Madness podcast. Chris, let's hop right into our bracket with the number one Darth Vader versus number nine R2-D2 matchup. This matchup, as all of them, is extremely tough because you have the main most popular maybe most popular villain in movie cinema history versus the most lovable little droid in movie cinema history right um darth vader is just this he his character is just so convincing as a villain we brought this up last bracket in the way that he is so calm and collected he is intimidating in that way because you don't quite know what he's going to do next he's absolutely ruthless um, he he'll he'll choke someone out with <laughs> with no warning, no problem, um, and in that way he knows how to control a room. He's he's one of those leaders that just knows how to control a room, um, and he's always trying to like think be forward thinking. And while that doesn't really work out for him, um, with the whole like Death Star stuff, didn't really see that coming. Um, he he's just such a solid villain. R two D two is the 
arguably, if we do a sidekicks bracket, he might take the crown for best sidekick because this dude is loyal. Um, he's constantly getting the gang out of tough situations, whether that's throwing up defense shields when other droids can't in episode one, opening doors, activating elevators, like, he can do it all. Um, we brought up last episode how R2-D2 always just has a fix for everything, whether you need him to see something, you need him to uh, rocket jet out of a situation, uh, He and he just knows what he wants. He's constantly, almost it feels like every time he's with uh, uh, 3PO, he's just... <laughs> he knows what he wants to go do, and if 3PO doesn't agree, it doesn't matter. R2-D2 is heading in the other direction. He's going to go make things happen. And he's just constantly saving the day. I think that... I think when I think of Star Wars, what I really enjoy about it is who's going to come out on top and save the day. Every who, How is the situation going to be saved? Who's going to save the day? And while Vader is an incredible villain, I think that R2-D2 is the better Star Wars character because he is constantly saving the day. So, Chris... I am moving R2-D2 past the villainous villain, Darth Vader. Okay, so I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. I think there's plenty of evidence that could support that theory that R2-D2 is a very clutch performer, right? You could point to the scene in episode one when they're trying to escape in Queen Amidala's star cruiser or whatever it is, and all of the droids are trying to repair the hyperdrive, I think, and... They're all getting picked off, yeah. and like R two's the one that repairs it, and they like I don't know what they like present R two to the queen, and they're like thank R two, thank him. <laughs> like he didn't even do anything though; he just got lucky enough not to get shot. Like he could have been blasted in that moment. It's not like R two did some super cool dodge or something to get out of the way. You know that that was just a moment set up for Star Wars fans when we see R two <laughs> in Episode one, and he's like fixing the hyperdrive yeah, it's like it's kind of like the r2 origin yeah story. exactly it's like when han meets chewy in the solo movie. oh yeah um but you've also got him assisting in the death star escape in a new hope he also is alongside luke in a lot of situations when he needs his lightsaber on Tatooine in Return of the Jedi, and R2 fires it into the air. He's just always there when you need him, right? So I understand the argument that he's clutch, he saves the day. Without him, the day might not have been saved. Sure, I get that. And R2 is an extremely recognizable figure in this universe. When it comes to branding, I think Vader and R2 are top two in like recognizable Star Wars figures. But this whole saga is about Darth Vader. At least the first six movies are about the fall and redemption of Darth Vader or Anakin Skywalker, whatever you want to call him in this situation. In the Disney universe, good and evil is very defined. And I think in the Star Wars universe, it is also very defined. So to me, it's really interesting to see a character like Darth Vader, who is seemingly such a stark version of evil transform in the end and if you think about his primary objectives in the original trilogy that turn isn't exactly super surprising to me emperor is kind of on this power trip where it seems like he wants to kill a bunch of people but vader always seems to kind of be on his own agenda he 
wants Luke to sit beside him on this throne, whatever, rule the galaxy as father and son, and somehow incorporate Leia into that. And it makes me think that this man is not necessarily out for blood. He just wants safety and order and control, and he wants to be with his family and not be harmed in any way. So I think that's kind of kind of relatable in a way. Obviously, he got mixed up with some bad people, but <laughs> that's kind of what he had to do to get what he wants. Return of the Jedi. Let's get into that naming system, all right? Return of the Jedi, at first you might think, oh, it's about Luke. He's coming back. He got hurt at the end of episode five, and he's coming back to save the day. But no, Return of the Jedi is Darth Vader returning to the light side of the force. He's back. The Jedi's are back. And so I think to have R2 defeat Darth Vader in this matchup would be a discredit to what this whole story is about. So I think easily I am moving on Darth Vader, which means we're going to a tiebreaker. Josh, what do you have to say about this? Uh, Man, Kyle's attempt was very admirable. That's all I'll say about that. And I, I do agree that, you know, if you're if you're a rebel or you're part of the original Republic, the good Republic, or you're part of the resistance or whatever, R2 is definitely an MVP up there, you know, like like you guys have been saying. Every possible situation they've gotten into, they get a little assist from R2. There's that great scene in Return of the Jedi when they get well, I don't know if it's a great scene, but it's a scene in Return of the Jedi where they get caught in the net by the Ewoks. And, uh, you know, Luke's trying to get his lightsaber. And it's just this very kind of almost like Laurel and Hardy routine where Han is trying to grab Luke's saber. And meanwhile, R2 is just cutting through. just doing. He'll take care of it and they all fall down. Motivated. R2 is um, always there to save the day. But, I mean, Kyle, you alluded to it in your opening statement that maybe the most iconic villain of all time it's not even really a a question of maybe i'm pretty sure on the list of you know most iconic villains of all time um from like the those big film cinema whatever uh archives he's always number one he has to move on he is the most probably the most if you want to just say what's star wars the quickest way to show someone is just a picture of darth vader i think I mean, literally the poster for Empire Strikes Back is just his head. It's just his helmet. Um, R2, absolutely iconic. You see people, you know, um, drawing R2 on mailboxes and things like that. You know, I mean, R2 is everywhere. He's wonderful. We all love him. He's not here for any of 3PO's as you said before. And he has (laughs) no problem just putting 3PO in his place all the time, which I love about R2 as well. Um, he was there with Anakin, you know, then he moved on to being with Luke and, um, eventually part of the rebel or the resistance in general. He's just been there every step of the way, you know? Um, so I love him, but Vader is Star Wars. I mean, there's, there is no Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't move beyond that first movie. If you don't have Darth Vader, like Darth Vader is so key that balance between Luke, the hero and Vader, the bad guy, and then, um, as Chris said so well, at the end of Return of the Jedi, when it kind of comes together, it really is a moment where Luke almost succumbs to the dark side. 
And the fact that he doesn't is largely in credit to his empathetic bond with his father because he knows there's some good still left in Vader. So again, he is not this straightforward, though it comes off as very mysterious and intimidating. There's more to him. And um, the moment when he sees his son suffering and decides to make that decision that he should have made a long time ago, um, you know, it, it makes all the difference. And you think about that. You take a guy who killed children in episode three. And then um, by episode six, he's saving the galaxy. And when we first were introduced to him, he's just this scary cloaked bad guy with a really cool voice and a weird breathing apparatus. I mean, he's iconic. He's a mixture of so many different source material for, for Lucas, looking at like samurai design and things like that. And then I just have to say my favorite, favorite Darth Vader moment is episode five, Empire Strikes Back. When he invites Luke into the chamber to fight, and Luke, you know, ignites his saber, and famously, Vader slowly ignites his saber in this kind of just ominous way, where you're like, "Oh, Luke's out of his league in this one," and then pretty soon, you know, Vader's using the Force to throw a bunch of crap at Luke and knock him out a window, <laughs> and just a great sequence of events um, there. So yeah, I'm I'm going with Vader for sure. He's I love R2, and I don't mean him any uh, you know disrespect, but it's just Vader's too important. Had to stick up for my boy. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much for that justice. So we are going to move to the next matchup. We've got number 13, C-3PO versus number 5, Obi-Wan. Now, I think certain people's understandings of Obi-Wan Kenobi are different. I grew up watching the original trilogy, and then a few years into my childhood, I was introduced to The Phantom Menace and those prequels, and I kind of had to re-meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Initially, he was this mentor character. He was very wise, and he was a teacher figure to Luke. But in the prequels, he is a little bit less respecting of order. He's kind of emotional, But at the same time, he is more rational than the rest of the Jedi Council. It's so weird how this Council of Jedis are supposed to be all-knowing and super smart, and they consistently make really stupid decisions. And Obi-Wan seems to be the one who's, like, keeping it together for the viewers, being like, no, I'm going to have to do what's right here. I'm going to have to take over. So... Yeah, those two versions of Obi-Wan are different, but I think they're both quality characters. They're just a little bit different. Um, So I'm not really sure how to reconcile that disparity. I just wanted to interject. The one thing that's consistent about Obi-Wan through all the movies is that he's a liar. Like, I love (laughs) Obi-Wan, but he doesn't have much problem hiding the truth from from people um, or... You know, like you said, he, he does the right thing. But sometimes I think it's almost like he wants to hide behind the council. For example, when he asks Anakin to, to spy on the Chancellor, which is the right thing to do. Not Anakin, though. They should spy on him <laughs> a different way. Uh, but uh, he says, you know, the council is asking me to do this. He won't take responsibility for being the one to ask Anakin to spy. So I th- I think I, I agree with you. I, my view of Obi-Wan changed as well in the prequels because... 
Um, I think I said this on the last podcast, but the way he responds at the end of the fight between him and Anakin Mm -hmm. didn't feel very Mm Jedi-like to me because it leaves him suffering. Um, But uh, Obi-Wan has always been a character who's willing to kind of hide or obscure the reality a little bit to have control, as you mentioned, over what's going on um, to some degree. But I do like the little details about Obi-Wan, like... Uh, in episode two, maybe the, one of the only parts of episode two I really like is when um, there's that little droid on the window that had brought in the snakes to mm-hmm. kill Queen Amidala or whatever. Obi-Wan does not hesitate. He just jumps out the window and grabs onto that thing. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I've always loved that moment because it's so like Obi-Wan just kind of following the force and going, that's what I need to do right now. But yeah. I totally see uh, that conflict about Obi-Wan. He's a very difficult character because when I was a kid, I just thought he was the greatest right. he's the one who taught me about the force but then like you said the prequels definitely complicated right things. he's a little bit brash in his decision making in the prequels and he he at times does display that in episode four he goes off on his own to shut down the uh, tractor beam yeah tractor beam. and yeah. he refuses help right. i think uh from luke too if i remember correctly so that's i mean i guess correct. He kind of maintains that sense of recklessness almost. Uh, he goes in to fight Darth Vader knowing he's going to lose. Um, one one other consistency I see is his sense of humor. He's got a very kind of, I don't want to say dark sense of humor, but it's a little bit sarcastic. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think... I think it's very dry. Yeah, he shows yeah. that in both the prequels and episode four. C-3PO, on the other hand, much smaller role. But his role is very defined in every single movie. He is a sidekick character. I'm usually not the type of person who loves comic relief in more dramatic situations, but C-3PO rarely misfires for me. It's not like an Olaf situation where every time C-3PO speaks, I want to just <laughs> like Olaf claw my eyes out. C-3PO works. I'm not really sure why. It just he always <laughs> works for me. Um, he and R2 get the first few scenes of this whole saga in Tatooine. And I love that whole sequence when R2 and C-3PO are going through the deserts of Tatooine and R2 like starts going down a Canyon and C-3PO's like, you go that way. I don't care. (laughs) Like, (laughs) bye. It's so funny seeing this character who's kind of like uptight, who's, you know, shiny and clean and fancy and he's can't really move that <clears throat> and he can't really move that well and he's trying to navigate his way through the desert. It's so, so good. And I think that they consistently treat this character really well and utilize him in the most effective way. There's not a whole lot of like C three PO moments where I'm like, oh man, like I've seen enough of this guy. So for that consistency, I'm giving C-3PO the edge here over Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, well, when it comes down to this matchup, Chris, I think I'm going to agree with you. For Basically, your argument was essentially what I was going to lay down. I think that I enjoy the C-3PO character a lot more than I enjoy Obi-Wan, and I like his kind of the consistency of his character that holds strong throughout the entire saga. Um, he's also, we always talk about, like, the like when we're talking best character best anything how disney is also able to utilize this character and c3po is a a great marketing tool he's just he's up there with r2d2 and and vader right like you you see this shiny gold man and you're like that yeah that's star wars um 
So I, I agree with you. All of your points I've, I'm right on track with, and I'm also moving C3PO on. Josh, did you have that? I would not have had that, no. But <laughs> um, I, I do think 3PO is, is, a, is worthy, and I think 13 is a like too low seed for him. Um, I, I would say this. I think 3PO's best moments come whenever he's poed uh, poed sorry that was a little <laughs> Freudian slip he's paired with either Han or Poe because um yeah in Empire Strikes Back that's probably some of my favorite 3PO stuff is when 3PO's yeah. panicking as they're going through the asteroid field and Leia's yelling at him to shut up and ever, never tell me the odds and all that and Poe's telling him to shut up when they're in the cave trying to get out in episode eight um, so 3PO is great whenever he's paired up with one of the like kind of scoundrel roguish type characters. Other times to me, his humor feels like how you're describing Olaf's humor to me where I'm just like, come on, 3PO, shut up. I don't, we don't need this right at th- this moment. Um, <laughs> here's the reason I would move Obi-Wan on is because I often think about the ways that I was introduced to certain uh, elements of the Star Wars universe. And for me, Obi-Wan, in, when, when you know he first meets up with Luke and they're in Obi-Wan's house and he's explaining what the Force was and he lies to him about his dad, you know, of course, because that's what Obi-Wan does. But Obi-Wan's the one who explained what the Force was to me when I was a little yeah. kid. Yeah. And for that, I will always put him over 3PO because 3PO is just going to tell me the odds that I'm going to get in a car crash tomorrow. So <laughs> I prefer Obi-Wan. I think his death is so important as a motivating factor in episode four for Luke to keep going. Um, and then eventually to meet Yoda, who's even better character, not on this list, but whatever. So I would have voted for Obi-Wan, but you know, I, I'm, I, I can see three PO going on, you know, and that's okay. Let's hop over to the other side of the bracket where we have number two, Luke versus number seven, Kylo. I, uh, the, this one's easy for me because Luke bugs me and, I and it's mostly his character in the original trilogy just I just I can't stand him sometimes he's he's one of the like this is a matchup of two guys that whine a lot in their in their respective (laughs) movies but Luke's whining is just just to whine and he's just annoying and Kylo's is like he's in actual pain like he's actually torn you can see that in the character maybe it's the two actors and how they portrayed their characters that really did this um but i I, he's just luke's just always jealous he's a little jealous boy he's in over his head at times (laughs) he uh he allowed r2 to get lit up in episode four and he didn't care like you can't disrespect r2 like that you know what he means to me um he he's just (laughs) ah, man he he just bugs me um kylo uh i just think that this guy like for we're lucky that the that like JJ and um, Ryan like that they didn't try and make Kylo like the next Vader and then fall short. He's kind of his own villain in my opinion. Like he they did such a good job with him to not try and like oh he's just the next Vader. This is Vader, um, and he he can develop as his own sort of character. And I think he's just I just think that character is so much stronger than luke's character i'm moving kylo on yeah i agree kyle uh, go ahead go ahead go ahead Josh. sorry can i just give a little sidebar two two quick comments real quick about Please. this i think um the reason why kylo's whining 
is more palatable than Luke's is that Mark Hamill was not a very good actor in the late yeah. 70s, early 80s. Um, it's really striking to see Mark Hamill's performance in episode eight because you're like, wow, this guy can really act. And right. you didn't really know that from the original trilogy. Um, the other thing I would say is you said they tried to make him different. Now, they did start to make Kylo different than Vader in the first two movies of the tri- sequel trilogy. You know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then in the end, what happens to Vader? Or excuse me, Kylo. He sacrifices himself to save someone he cares about and ends up dying for the Jedi, quote-unquote. Um, so his trajectory ends up being very similar. He's a bad guy looking for something. Um, now, the way he gets there is different. I would mm-hmm. agree with that. He's more conflicted character, a more obviously conflicted character than Vader, where a lot of Vader's conflict is hidden behind the mask. But, you know, in episode, episode uh, 8, Kylo smashes his mask, and we get to kind of see him as... As as Kylo and a little bit of Ben Solo starting to leak through, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so I just wanted to make those two quick points of what you were saying. I, I I think we are very lucky that Adam Driver was cast in the sequel trilogy, or would be much worse. Uh, they would be much worse movies. He's amazing in those movies. So yeah, sorry, good Chris. I didn't mean to take so much. No, time. you're good. Uh, I am going to agree with Kyle in that I think Kylo is a better character i don't want to say luke is a bad character but i think he's incomplete and unfortunately he's incomplete in both the original trilogy and the new trilogy i like to think about the odyssey a lot when i think of these epic movies the thing that's most memorable to me about the odyssey is all of the interesting characters that odysseus meets all of the interesting situations and places that he goes to on his journey back home. Star Wars is lucky in that it has the same type of things working for it. All of the supporting characters and Star Wars things are very interesting, but I don't think the main character, Luke, is particularly interesting or one that the audience most sympathizes with or connects with or relates to. In a good movie the main character undergoes some type of emotional transformation and a lot of that transformation comes from the character being ill-equipped for the journey that they go on. Luke is ill-equipped in that he doesn't know how to fight, he doesn't know the force, and he learns to be a great warrior and then, I guess, saves the day in the end. I really wish that they had given Luke some more negative character traits in the beginning so that we could see Luke transform and grow throughout the course of the original three movies he kind of gets that in the new trilogy in that he's this like grumpy old guy because his new jedi order training thing didn't work out that stuff i think works fine i don't have a problem with the treatment of the luke character in the new trilogy like a lot of people do my problem is Amen. My problem is that there just wasn't enough time spent on it. I would have loved to see that whole story told, you know, instead of just it kind of happening in flashbacks really fast. And I think a lot of people's problems with this character probably come from that. There was not enough attention paid to Luke's storyline, whatever you want to call it. Um, But... 
you know, unfortunately, we can't just invent stuff in our head. It's what we see on the screen. And the truth is, Kylo gets a lot better treatment. You know, we get to see, like you said, that transformation. We got to see that struggle. We get, we get to see that struggle. We get to see him throughout the entire course of his arc, if you want to call it that. He gets the redemption arc in uh, the new trilogy. And I mentioned last episode, too, I love seeing the human aspects of this character who is supposedly on the dark side. You know, he's just like the rest of us. He gets upset. He loses his temper. He gets into situations that are way over his head. He's walking around without a shirt on. Uh, (laughs) I absolutely love it. I think, you know, he's the best part of this new trilogy. So I agree. I think Kylo is advancing for me over Luke. Josh, what do you think about that? I think it hurts, but it makes sense. I I think one thing that you spoke about, Chris, that really makes a lot of sense is that he's kind of too simple of a character in the original trilogy. And I think that's part of the reason why there was such a backlash um, for the the way he was treated in The Last Jedi. He's a very interesting character in The Last Jedi. And much like Obi-Wan, he starts off as a liar, you know? He lies to Rey about how things really went down at the Jedi Temple. And then the last time he tells her about how it really went down, you know, but then he's still unwilling to go help. But then he shows up at the very end. And I I think that's brilliant. And I also think it's very interesting that we're talking about Kylo versus Luke right here, because, you know, that iconic shot of them staring each other down on on crate at the end of episode eight is one of my favorite like moments, you know, of just he wants to Kylo wants to kill Luke so bad. He's so (laughs) angry at him. And you see, I mean, I think Luke's, if Luke's character, if I just had to base this on who's a better character in episode eight, it would be a tough matchup for me because they both drive that movie to me uh, along with Ray. But I would say that I think you guys are right. I think Kylo's a better character. And I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends who grew up with the original trilogy who would roast me for that. But <laughs> I'm going to have to agree that Luke is more two-dimensional in the original trilogy and then um, he gets a better treatment in episode eight. That's what always boggles me about people who are like, oh, he was, they ruined his character. I'm like, no, no, they made it interesting. What are you talking yeah, about? Exactly. Kylo's interesting the whole time. I totally agree with you. From that first moment he shows up and he tells uh, old man uh, Max von Sydow that you know, he will show him the dark side and cuts him down. You know, <laughs> Or he has that little comic uh, moment with Poe where Poe's like, so who talks first? Do I talk first? You talk first? <laughs> There's just this great kind of like, he wants to be taken very seriously. Or the moment, uh, the interrogation scene um, with him and Ray in The Force Awakens where he starts out, oh, I see it. I see the island. And then she starts pushing back a little bit and you're scared you'll never be as strong as Darth Vader. It's just, I mean, he gets <laughs> a lot more interesting stuff to do than Luke. I, I agree with that. Although the one part of Luke that I really like is his relationship with Yoda. Um, and I think that is a place where you can see some change and growth and maturity when he rushes off to face Vader before he's ready. And then when he comes back in return of the Jedi and kind of apologizes to Yoda for it. Mm-hmm. And then he really truly takes Yoda's words to heart at the end of return of the Jedi and throws his saber down instead of continuing to fight, which is the true Jedi code. And then he does something very similar in episode eight, where he sends out this projection of himself. So he's not actually fighting Kylo. Right. Um, he's following the Jedi code. So I think that is the way in which his arc uh, resolves the best is that he kind of doesn't really understand what the force is, but by the end he does understand what the proper choice to make is. But yeah. Kylo is just multidimensional. 
he's the one that um makes this the the sequel trilogy really interesting um mm-hmm. m- much in the way that ray is not as a developed character as him i would say that you know people are more interested in han solo than they are in luke skywalker in the original trilogy so yeah Perfect. Well, that is going to be a nice segue into our final Elite Eight matchup, number three, Han Solo versus number six, Leia. I think Josh said this last episode that a lot of people growing up with the original trilogy really looked up to Han more than Luke and wanted to dress up as Han for Halloween and play pretend as Han. And so I kind of had to ask myself, like, why is that? You know, like, what makes him such a more relatable and likable character because he's kind of in that gray area where he's a good guy, but he does some bad things. So what makes him so relatable? And the thing I kind of got out of it was that he really lives by his own rules and he's a little bit sloppy in the way that he does things. Meanwhile, he is simultaneously dumb and smart. And so (laughs) all of those traits make him very approachable and relatable. And so you can see a lot of yourself in Han Solo when he's standing on top of the Millennium Falcon arguing with Chewbacca because his ship is falling apart and he's (laughs) just like on the struggle bus. You know, you totally look at that Mm -hmm. and go, oh my gosh, I know exactly how that feels, right? (laughs) Uh, Also, I mean, Harrison Ford, extremely charming in that role. He also gets the love story, which, I don't know, it, it feels a little bit shoehorned in, um, but it's a little bonus as well. Yeah. On the other side, you've got Leia. I think Leia and Han both represent what this rebellion looks like really well. You've got this guy who doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's in it anyway, and he's got a rickety old ship that always seems to save the day. And then you've got the princess who's willing to get down and dirty in the trenches and go to war and spit in the face of the enemy. I think both of these characters really, really represent the spirit of the good guys in Star Wars. So I like that about both of them. Han maintains his attitude in the new trilogy He only gets the one movie, but he seems to be doing pretty much exactly the same thing. He's still just roaming around the universe with Chewie, doing his bounty hunter thing, getting himself into trouble in situations he can't really get himself out of. And Leia, unfortunately, becomes kind of a plot device in The Last Jedi, unfortunately. This character that you know, is supposed to be scrappy and ruthless, just becomes a roadblock for Poe, who I guess the audience is supposed to be sympathizing with in this situation. And so in that way, Leia kind of becomes like a bad guy almost in that you are frustrated with her. And I think that's a shame. To to be honest, Chris, I I think... I think we're supposed to be confused about who to sympathize with in that situation because I think you can see why Leia as a general would look at the losses that they took just to take down that dreadnought mm-hmm. and know that they're diminishing what they actually have. Um, and and then you're also probably sympathizing with Poe a little bit because it seems like they're not getting enough done to, to actually make this happen. That's why there's that whole side story to go um, try to find the master code breaker on Cantobite. But um, I, I think you're, you're right that there's a little bit lessening of her character. But again, going back to what I always say, it's 
it's the Rise of Skywalker where you really see it, where they shoehorn her in there um, with archival footage from the last, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, from the uh, Force Awakens. And you have all these awkward situations with her, and she's saying these lines that are kind of generic and don't really make sense in response to the characters. And I think that does the most damage to her character of all the things in the films is the way that they just. And then this whole idea that she waits to die until Kylo turns to the light side or whatever it was or until Kylo dies or something too as a weird like change of her character. She's going to wait to pass away until... And then she and her brother are hanging out in the space ether at the end to tell Rey that she should be a Skywalker or whatever. It's just stupid. So <laughs> I, I, think, I think Leia's character was more complicated by the fact that unfortunately carrie fisher passed away before um they could shoot uh the rise of skywalker um because she would have been really helpful to punch up that script too so totally and i think obviously we're not talking about the movies right now but i think that was a consistent problem with all of the new movies is that there was way too many characters way too many plot lines way too many things happening at once and that they all kind of like just decreased in effectiveness because you just didn't have enough time to focus on all of them and unfortunately the one thing when i think of when i think of leia now is her space freezing and resurrection and flying back into the ship i don't have a problem that it happened again it just the execution was very strange the timing was very strange the edits and camera angles were just weird and (laughs) i just remember having to like rub my eyes in the movie theater when it happened and be like what what (laughs) that was very abrupt and strange okay and i just cannot think of the name leia without thinking of that and it's really (laughs) unfortunate because this was such a good character in the original trilogy for that reason can't advance Han Solo over Leia. I am definitely with you. I think that just from an enjoyment standpoint, I enjoy Han Solo's character. This is I brought this up last time. This is this is a space western and we got our cowboy. He's this rough and tough kind of reckless space cowboy that is willing to get the job done and it in very unconventional ways using the resources that he has right he's very quick to think on his feet he's uh we bring up the his exchanges with chewy and c3po like he's very snarky and that's just it's so relatable because you want to be that person in that situation to tell 3PO to shut up and you want to have this argument with Chewie and and be frustrated like you you see yourself a lot in Han and like he's a a hero that is also just more relatable because he's not equipped with any sort of these like force powers and lightsabers and like he's like a very normal guy in this crazy universe that you can be like he he's very familiar right um i just i agree with everything that you said it's unfortunate what they did to leia's character and just all of the odd things that they did in the last trilogy with uh, in the last two movies really um it's just unfortunate so i'm with you chris han's moving on also han is kind of like he, he i would be interested in seeing like if Han's character kind of inspired 
the like Jack Sparrow character in Pirates of the Caribbean because I get a very similar kind of like reckless but always kind of like he has a plan but he doesn't quite know how he's going to accomplish that and using the resources around him and being not really caring about the people around him but getting the job done it, I see a lot of parallels obviously being a big Pirates fan so uh yeah Hans moving on Josh did you sorry we moved uh removed your girlfriend from the bracket here no, that's my girlfriend. Uh, well, I mean, my my two comments, I guess, would be one: I, I really, I do love Leia. She's wonderful um, in the original trilogy, especially. And um, yes, she was as important as Mary Poppins for my development as a a, a, bo- a young boy. Um, especially her her Hoth outfit is just I don't know. There's something snuggly about it that I in her hair. I don't whatever. I love her in that movie. I could watch that movie all the time just for that. But here's why Han will always move on for me. Um, he is double crossed by his buddy Lando on Cloud City, and the doors open, and then there's Darth Vader. <laughs> And he, without hesitating, pulls out his blaster and starts shooting at him. Yep. Winner Han. Right away. It's like that scene is maybe my favorite, like, five seconds of Star Wars or something like that. Just Mm -hmm. that he sees him. Chewie roars. He pulls out the gun and just, oh, my gosh, the cojones on this guy. Oh, there's Darth. I'm going to shoot him. I'm going to shoot him. I love that about Han. That's my favorite. Yep. Anyway, yeah, Han's great. Han should move on. Love it. That means that we have reached the final four here, and we're going to start off with the number one Darth Vader versus number 13 C-3PO matchup. <laughs> what? Are you joking? It's it's Darth Vader in this. It has to yeah. be Darth Vader. We just got done talking about how he's the villain of all villains and how C-3PO is more of a... a like he moved on in this bracket maybe further than he should have but he's also just a solid character um for what he is like this droid and he's very consistent in this series of inconsistencies um but it's darth vader it's darth vader you're he's the number one seed for a reason and it's because he is not only the face of star wars but he is the face of villains it's darth vader for me it's interesting. We got father and son on both sides of this bracket. Without mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's Anakin right. Skywalker, he built him. There would be ah. no C three PO. I don't really know when that was developed. If like George Lucas <laughs> knew all along that no Vader way, created C three PO, yeah, highly. No, he unlikely. made up all that stuff after the fact, man. Yeah. <laughs> but you look uh, at his original drafts, and no way that was not. Yeah, that's um, not what he's going for. But that's fine. I don't really have a whole lot to say. I agree with Kyle. I mean, both characters really strong, really well developed, but you don't have this whole thing without Vader. So also moving Vader on, Josh, do you have any parting words for C-3PO? Uh, I just have one one theory that I used to have about Vader and 3PO that, that arose from the prequels. Um, there's a scene in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, it's the carbon freezing scene where they're about to put Han into carbonite. And Chewie's kind of going nuts. And at this moment, Chewie has... Uh, is, he's wearing C-3PO as a backpack, essentially. Right? Yes. And, you know, Chewie's knocking stormtroopers off the scaffolding, and it's a wonderful scene. But one thing that a lot of people don't notice is that Boba Fett 
points his gun at uh, Chewbacca at that moment, and Vader pushes it down, like, don't shoot him. And so after seeing episode one and realizing that Vader had built C-3PO, it was always my theory that that's the reason why he did that. He's like, no, no, you can't shoot 3PO. I built 3PO. Don't, no shooting him. So that's my way out there theory. I know it's not true because Lucas had no idea, but I love how that <laughs> could you could make that work in your own head canon if you wanted it to. Yeah. But yeah, Vader, the, uh, 3PO should definitely have not gotten this far, but uh, Vader strikes him down with no problem. All right, so let's move across to the other side where we have a little bit more of an interesting matchup here. We've got Han Solo at number three versus Kylo Ren at number seven. So as I was saying last round, Kylo Ren gets a redemption arc, and Josh alluded to the similarities he has with Darth Vader. Starts off by a betrayal, in a way, killing someone who's really close to him, and then in the end saving someone who's really close to him. I really like this because it's not about saving the galaxy or saving the world or really ending point. the Sith forever. Kylo just has a connection with Rey and he cares about her. And it's a very small scale arc, which I really, really, really like. Han Solo gets an arc as well. It's more of an internal one. Han, at the beginning of episode four, is this guy who's in it for money. He's looking out for mm -hmm. numero uno. He goes to leave the rebellion, packs up all his money, and says, see you later, may the force be with you. Comes in at the last moment, saves Luke before he fires his photon things into the exhaust port. And so Han's arc is that he learns the value of trusting other people, having a family, opening your heart a little bit, and just being with other people besides Chewbacca, I guess. <laughs> By the way, one thing that I find interesting about that is that seems like that's the arc that they were trying to give Finn in right. the new trilogy. Because, you know, um, when he wakes up at the beginning of Last Jedi, he's like, where's Rey? Mm -hmm. um, when Poe says, you must have a million questions, and he's just like, where's Rey? And he's single-mindedly focused on that, but by the end of The Last Jedi, he's willing to sacrifice himself for the cause because he right. cares about everyone else. Uh, I find that to be interesting. And also I wanted to just quickly mention that Han Solo's arc in Episode Four is used in, literally used in film classes uh, to show how to develop a, a secondary character's arc. And I think you guys would probably agree with this. He has a better arc than Luke in that film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. And I will say, I don't think every character in a movie needs an arc. And I think people talk about arcs a little bit recklessly these days and True. overstate the importance of them. But uh, hmm. Han does have one, and it's really good. I would draw a comparison to Elsa with Han. <laughs> oh, here we where back to Frozen. his heart is frozen, he learns to open it up a little bit and open the doors in his life. Uh, so that's a character trope. I it, it's literally my favorite character trope ever. Uh, so <laughs> So Elsa or Han, which one both, moves both, on? Both, both they, just, they get married. Okay, good. Oh, just stop right now, Josh. <laughs> oh, she's yours? I'm sorry. <laughs> a frozen Star Wars crossover? Oh, my goodness. Um, I love Kylo Ren. Like I said, he's the best part of this new trilogy. 
But at the end of the day, Han's the one I relate to. As I get older, it's a character I relate to even closer. As I have these internal struggles with my own ego and my own confidence and, you know, trusting in other people is a thing that becomes increasingly important in my life and something that I have to keep reminding myself to do. So I just love Han Solo. I'm advancing him over Kylo. Kyle, what do you think? I don't really know what to think, to be honest, because this one's this one's super difficult for me. It, mostly because, I mean, I really, really, really like Han Solo's character, but I also really, really enjoy Kylo's in the short amount of time that we got to see Kylo's, and even as re- how recent it is. But is it also because the new, like, he was a shining point in the new movies which is why he's moved on so far like is that kind of the bias that i have inside of me right now possibly and probably um i uh man but you do bring up some good points there about han and and how you just feel like you you can relate to him and and a lot of the decisions that han makes are the ones that we would want to make right it's unlike luke who just in my opinion was complaining a lot and he he was making maybe the wrong decisions just to kind of overcompensate for his lack of skill han knows what he's all about and he's willing to like you like we just brought up like take on vader without even thinking about it he's like that's the bad guy i'm with the good guys i'm gonna mess this fool up it's this is how we're gonna do it kylo is also relatable you you relate to his struggle to to kind of find order and find consistency. That's something that I struggle with in my regular life is just finding consistency, right? And that's what Kylo wants. But I, man, ah, oh man. I think, Chris, I, either one moving on for me is, is a W in my eyes. And I've, but I just really like Han Solo's character better than I like Kylo. And I really like Kylo, but Han is just so much more fun and, and now he's he's going to have a chance to take on Vader once again in the finals. Han is moving on for me. Josh, what do you think? I, I, I can't argue with your guys' logic too much on that. Um, I, I think it's extremely hard because you have these two actors in Adam Driver and Harrison Ford that both have this really odd charisma that's just their own. You know, Obviously, Harrison Ford's is a little bit more broadly appealing but um, I mentioned this on the last episode. Uh, Kylo has the best fighting style of anybody in in all the Star Wars movies mm-hmm. because it's so ferocious and yeah. vicious, and it is not tempered by this uh, precise skill. He's like rage just unfurling in in front of your face, and and I love that about him. I love some of the softer moments with Kylo. Um, especially after the throne room scene when he asks Rey to join him and he gives that pathetic little please at the very end that just gets me every time. I mean, gosh, this guy who just cut his master in half um, is now begging this girl to go with him. Mm -hmm. I I think he's such a fascinating, wonderful character and played so well by Adam Driver. But ultimately, yeah, it's it's Han. Han shot at Darth Vader. Han. (laughs) I, I keep coming back to that moment, or you know, he'll go in the asteroid field. He'll just right. He takes dumb risks all the time, but 
you, like you were saying, Chris, we, we want him to take those risks. That's mm-hmm. what you would want him to do. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. Let's move on forward. All right, so we've got our final two matchup. Number one, Darth Vader versus number three, Han Solo. So I'll go ahead and start this conversation. I think now is when we want to kind of start talking about what it means to be labeled best Star Wars character. This is no longer about who's a good character and who's not a good character in like the scholarly sense. This is about which one of these is better representative of Star Wars. We, we are very scholarly, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, that's what we say drink, we're labeled as. I drank my beer with my pinkies up tonight. <laughs> academia, guys. We are in part of academia now. <laughs> so when you think of Star Wars, you can think of it in a ton of different ways. Me personally, when I think of Star Wars, I think of the universe that is Star Wars. On the one hand, you have this Skywalker saga where there's good and evil and lightsabers and the Force and destinies and chosen ones and metachlorians. But on the other side, you've got all of these peripheral things that are happening around it. And Star Wars has become this phenomenon that is so much more than the Skywalker saga. Vader represents that saga. He is the linchpin that holds the saga together. He's the linchpin that holds all of these characters and their relationships together. Everything funnels up to Darth Vader. All of the relationships have probably something to do with Darth Vader. For that, I think he gets a lot of credit. But Han Solo is just a guy. He happened to get roped into this rebellion thing, but he doesn't have any special powers. He doesn't have a high metachlorian count or oneness with the universe and the things that bind it or whatever you want to call the force. (laughs) Stupid force. He's just a guy. And before he got tied up in all this stuff, he was just flying around the galaxy, going from planet to planet, doing his bounty thing, probably seeing lots of different kinds of alien species and whatnot. And I think as we move forward in the history of this brand, we're going to see more stuff like that, more stuff like The Mandalorian, where it's just these small slices of this universe becoming blown out. And it's going to help round out the way we understand all of it. I think... Star Wars kind of had an issue in making nine movies about a universe that they didn't do a great job expanding on screen and all of the books and graphic novels and video games and all that kind of stuff. So much expanded universe, but the main films really just kind of kept it right down the middle. And so to me, Han being an explorer and a guy who can kind of do whatever he wants and he comes from that normal corner of the universe because of that, I think he's the better Star Wars character and better representative of this film franchise and of this conglomerate franchise. So I'm giving Han Solo the edge here over Darth Vader. What do you think about that, Kyle? I'm shook. I'm shook because I I have Vader as the best Star Wars character. Because when, as you think about Star Wars, as you just brought up, you're thinking the Force. You're thinking the dark side versus light side. You're thinking lightsabers. Dude, the, Darth Vader has it, right? And he's he is the face, quite literally, of Star Wars, being that he is the face of the poster for uh, the, what, episode five? Empires, he's, yeah. Yep, he's... He is he's the ultimate villain in this Star Wars, good versus bad. There's is literally a battle and he is the face of one side of the battle. Han maybe not so much. He's he's a character of the rebellion, but he's not necessarily 
the one. You think like it's got it's Vader. It's for me. It's it's just Vader. He is Star Wars. Everything about him screams Star Wars. Han. It like if you ask somebody these two photos, which one is which one is Star Wars? They're like, oh, it's the one with the the dude with the mask. Like it to me, it has to be Vader. We've we've talked so much about him in these past two episodes explaining how powerful he is on screen and in our lives when representing star wars josh you are breaking the tie which means that effectively you're crowning the best star wars character oh dang well that's appropriate i've devoted most of my life to star wars so um (laughs) it's so hard when kyle when you said the thing about lightsabers the first thing that popped in my head was Han using a lightsaber sloppily on a tauntaun in episode five to cut it <laughs> right. open to shove Luke in there. Uh, I, I think the, I know you guys already separated Anakin and Vader and kind of said they're different characters, but if you don't do that, then if we're just thinking about who's the best star Wars character, you think about Anakin as a character in episodes one through three, and then Vader as a character in four through six. And then his, like looming presence in seven and eight to a certain degree. Um, He's not, you know, we've talked about Anakin not being that great of a character. So in some ways, like Vader, the problem with Vader is that you can't really divorce him from Anakin Skywalker. I don't think, I think as especially the farther away we get from this people remembering that there was just going to be one film, you know, or there was just going to be the original trilogy or, Oh, there were just going to be six. Oh, there were nine. Like that's going to get lost in the ambers of time. And people are going to forget that. And they're going to see Vader and Anakin as one really. Um, My argument for, for Han would be that he's great in the original trilogy. um, Not so much in return of the Jedi. I watched that recently and, Harrison Ford kind of mails that performance in. Um, there's a particularly bad scene in Return of the Jedi, which I think rivals anything in the prequels, and it's poorness. And it's when Luke tells Leia that um, they're brother and sister, and Han comes out, and he's like, who can you tell? You can tell Luke? That's who you can tell? And gets all <laughs> upset, and then she she goes, hold me, and like nuzzles up with him. And it's an awful scene. It's just a discredit to all the actors on, on screen. Um, whereas... Han in the sequel trilogy, uh, Harrison Ford brings it in episode seven. I was worried when I first heard heard they're bringing him back that Harrison Ford was always kind of over Han anyways. But I mean, he's one of my favorite parts of Force Awakens easily. And we talked a lot of smack about Finn last episode. He's right there with us. Hey, big shot, you know, they always figure it out. Like, he's always, that's not how the Force works. He's so great in Episode 7. Yeah. This is an impossible decision. You guys basically narrowed it down to, like, my two favorite Star Wars characters here. <laughs> um, gosh. Uh, best Star Wars character. It's it's Vader. I hate no. it, but it's Vader. Because Han is a better character, so to speak. Like, I want to hang out with Han and find more adventures with Han and stuff. But Vader is the symbol of Star Wars. And, and like Chris mentioned, because of the way the narrow nature of the main films, um, everybody is connected to Vader. And, and the, it's the Skywalker saga, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, in Episode 7, we see kylo one of our other favorite characters trying to be like vader you know um and as much as i love han for shooting at vader i think 
I think Vader <laughs> is the one we will look at as being the Star Wars character. Um, I think we probably could have predicted this outcome before we even started talking about this this uh, bracket, to be honest. So I, I vote for Vader. We not once mentioned the standalone solo film in this whole discussion. <laughs> so maybe Darth Vader was not a bad selection there. Uh, <laughs> but but, but not to mention, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't discount the fact that the prequels are essentially Vader's standalone solo movies because the prequels are all about Anakin becoming Vader. So you could make that argument that since the prequels are so poor that that shows poorly on, on Vader. But I, I agree with you. Like we didn't talk much about solo cause there's not much to talk about except for remember that time in solo when they talked about that other thing that happened in another movie. That's pretty cool. Right. So um, oh, he got his blaster. That's what he got his blaster. That's how he got his blaster. I really, I wish I never knew how Han made the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. I yeah. just didn't need to know that. Like, I when I was watching Solo, I just thought, oh, here's the part that he mentioned one time, and uh, in the original trilogy, and they're making a whole scene out of it. And I'm like, that sucks. Uh, that stuff was better left to the imagination. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't want to blame solo a star wars story god who thought to name him that anyway uh for for han losing here though i I think vader is just more iconic and a better star wars character han can't use the force he can't he can barely hold a lightsaber um but yeah i I think we have to go with vader welcome if there's one thing that i have to say about this is that our demographic has been on fire because this is our second bracket in a row where the number one seed has come away with the whole thing, which has not happened in Mouse Madness history. Now we've got two back-to-back one seeds. I know. Our interns are really finding a, a survey strategy that's, <laughs> that's working apparently because, yeah, I didn't think that. I honestly didn't know where this bracket was going, but you're right. It's not often that a number one seed wins, and here we are with them back-to-back. So... Will this trend continue? I'm, I'm not sure. We're going to have to find out next episode. But that wraps up our best Star Wars character bracket. Josh, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest host and, and crowning the champion. We really enjoyed having you on. Thank you for having me. And uh, I mean, it's, it's my dream to spend as much time as possible talking about Star Wars. So you guys gave me another outlet to do that. So I, I really appreciate that that you thought of me, you know. Um, and uh, as your as your former teacher... That's pretty cool, you know, because <laughs> teachers aren't cool. So when somebody says, hey, you're a cool teacher, you know, it's always like, yeah, I'm a cool teacher. You know, it's like kind of like you, it's like when someone's like, you're a nice cop. It's like, okay. Um, you know, it's like there, there's this little underlying thing. So I, I really appreciate you asking me to be on this, and I enjoyed it so much. And um, Chris, it was really cool to meet you and you have some awesome perspectives on star wars the things that i hadn't thought of too which is just so fun so thank yeah, you nice guys. meeting you as well josh listeners you know how to reach us you can send us a tweet if you have any comments at mouse madness pod on twitter you can email us at mouse madness podcast at gmail.com join our discord chat where we talk about all disney stuff star wars stuff marvel stuff all the time until then may the force be with you and let the fanfare take us out Oh,